Well, good morning, Rock Point. Uh, that was meager. Hey, listen, there's another church in town I may have time to catch. Um, look, I went through TSA for you people. Can we ramp it up a little bit more? Let's try it again. Man comes up the steps, he settles in, he puts his things down, waits for the five count to come down, and then he says, Good morning, Rock Point! Good morning! Woo! My people! All right, I'm back. Hey, you, I feel like a local, because I've never been here before, uh, but last night, my daughter Amy, she said, when you get in to the airport, do a little video that we can put up to Instagram stories. And so I went in, and I've been longing to sing this song forever, but I've never been here. So in the middle of the airport, I yelled out, Chattanooga choo-choo, won't you carry me home? And um, I put that up, and, and people who were friends are no longer friends, and it's been tough. <laughs> but I do feel like a local, and then, Justin, you took me by the train station today, so I feel like I've done it all. Um, I can't wait to come back. I just flew in last night, and I'm going to fly out real quick today. But I want to bring Stacy back and actually do Chattanooga. So, yeah, that'll be very, very fun. Yeah. Well, what a privilege. I got to read some of the outlines and slides of what Justin has been taking you through. And I'm just blown away, Justin, at what you've done with this series. It is, it is humbling to watch what you guys have done. So I, I feel uh, just so poised, you get the privilege to kind of someone from outside that you don't know, saying the same things from different ways and kind of putting a, a benediction on this sermon. So I, I'm just so asking God, let me be in the moment, let me be present, let me nail this thing so that um, this series can be, have a bow on top of it. Uh, you know the story in Genesis. You don't have to turn there. Whenever a preacher tells you to not turn there, don't trust him. But in this case, do trust him. Um, chapter 3, you know that they ate of the fruit in the garden. Evil uh, coerced them and drew them, and they... They did take the fruit. And it's so interesting, you get a before and after snapshot. It says that in chapter 2, and the man and his wife were both naked and they weren't ashamed. And then you see this chaos after they eat the fruit. And um, the Lord calls to Adam and says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Um, naked before is just to be without clothes. Now it's got something different. There's a nefariousness to it. There's an alienation to it. To be naked uh, is to feel not enough. To be naked is to feel like you don't fit in, is to be scared that you've done something wrong, to be scared that God is ashamed of you. So when Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid myself, he, he, he doesn't know what else to do. God, 
I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I didn't know what else to do. I, I thought maybe you'd be mad at me now. I don't know. But this feels so wrong. And the best word is given to us in chapter 2, the opposite of what they experienced in chapter 2. Adam was experiencing shame. For the very first time, that sense that there is something, you know, your guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there is something irreparably wrong with you. No matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter what you study, no matter where you go, it won't change. And if people really knew the deepest, most real you, they'd know that shame of you. And so Adam passes it on. And a stone is dropped into a dark pool of DNA whose concentric circles start making their way out and down through history from Adam. And they spool out and out and out and out all the way to me. And now um, when I get afraid or embarrassed or exposed or revealed or I do something or something's done to me that convinces me that uh, something's uniquely wrong about me that I don't match up. I hide. I mask myself. See, as early as we can remember, we have performed for acceptance. If I'm good enough, talented, beautiful, handsome, together, competent, right enough, I'm going to be loved, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be accepted. But if I'm not, I'm going to be pitied, patronized, rejected, and I'll, I'll live a second-class life. You know, you know what it all reminds me of? The Santa Claus is coming to town theology. Santa Claus. Think about it. We created Santa Claus because we couldn't handle God. Truth is, we can't handle Santa Claus. We made the guy old jolly and chubby and sassy, but the truth is he's a controlling legalist with almost unlimited power. Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Let me tell you why. Because the big man's coming to town. He's making a list. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. He'll check it twice. Huh? He'll see. He will see who's naughty and nice. And this controlling, omniscient legalist, he's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, which in my book is wrong, okay? I, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't want you coming to my room in the middle of the night. Yeah. Santa, get out of that chair. Get, hey, go. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. Goodness sake. 
And your worth is based on how much you do right and how little you do wrong. And he's always writing stuff down. And he's going to find you out. And this omniscient, controlling legalist is coming to town. So you better watch out. You better fear this guy. You better stop sniveling. You better not pout. You put on a good face and you act like you're someone better than who you actually happen to be. Dance better. Put on a good show. Just be better than who you are uh, for goodness sake. Isn't that crazy? It's genetically wired into us. Wow. We learn early on how to perform. The highest value seems to be to be accepted, and the means of acceptance is right appearance, right? And there's a problem, because I fail. Oh my gosh, how I fail. Another result of the fall is that my failure seems worse than yours. Mine is more shameful and weirder. And so I live with this secret awareness, no matter what I do, no matter where I go, many place I speak, the secret awareness is just how poorly I'm doing and how little I've grown and I feel unfit, unworthy, unlovable. I'm naked and scared. Gotta hide. No one must know. I must mask myself with enough reason to be loved by people. I've got to brag, put others down, act healthier, idealize myself, posture, bluff, keep a smile on, avoid correction, justify, rationalize, hide the real me. <sighs> that is the legacy of Adam right there. But the good news is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. How beautiful. For, the, for those of us who are hearing it for the first time and for those of us who are getting in touch with it the 1143rd time. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to actually become my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in him. Are you kidding me? God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on my behalf. My sin. To not take it on, but to become my sin. And your sin, and Sir Francis Drake's sin. For the purpose that I, that I would become the righteousness of God in him. Question his taste, but don't question his character. We are clothed in righteousness by the willingness of God to become naked and suffer our penalty. And so the pattern gets broken. The moment I believe, new wiring fills my circuits. We dare to believe that we're lovable just because he chooses to love us. We're delighted in, we are holy and righteous. We believe he created us lovable. He made us exactly who he wanted. He wanted there to be a you on this planet at this time for a certain group of people that nobody else will get to the same. He just had to break through the chasm of sin separation. Oh, and this radically remakes us. 
But then uh, something happens. I don't know. You tell me. Um, maybe you go through a season where you don't experience his love as much. You feel dry. Or maybe you fail God in some way you thought you would never do again. And suddenly, gradually, like smoke, it slips back under the door. And the lie reawakens. You, be, you begin to presume that a sense of his absence or bad circumstances must be because of his displeasure with you. And so the cycle of performance starts back up again. Okay, you'll shore things up. I got this. I got this. Just like always, I got it. I'll straighten up the magazines. I'll set some standards. I'll get more serious about my behaviors. I'll polish things up, and then the river's going to run again. I, 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 I got it. Come, come on, you got this, John. I can do this thing. And one of these times, one of these times, because he loves you more than 10 yet, 10 billion yet, unnamed galaxies. He's going to call you out. He will call you out. You'll be doing the Christian life, just doing your own thing, just walking along, doing whatever it is that you're doing in the Christian life, and then suddenly one day, <clears throat> you're going to slam into a giant pole. Giant pole that leads way, way up high. You're, you're at an intersection now. And, and the one road that you've been walking on now suddenly becomes two. You look up, there's, there's way up high, there's arrows pointing down paths and those arrows point down a certain path, both of them. And they, they, one says, trusting God. The other one says, pleasing God. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, I, wait. I, I don't want to make this choice. I'm just doing the Christian life. And, but there they are. There's the pole. There's the intersection. There's the two arrows and there's the two paths. And they are not going away. And you must choose one of them. And whichever you choose will will be the primary motivation of your heart for the rest of your life. <sighs> okay, so, all right, okay, okay. Um, trusting God. Okay, uh, it doesn't seem like there's much to do there. <sighs> Pleasing God. See, that's, that's got to be, that's, see, I mean, after all he's done for me, the least I can do is make, do something for him, right? Oh, I see what's going on. God, you've, you've done this whole thing right here so that I would have to make the decision to come to this path so that I would go to be with the sold out people of God. Okay, okay, I'm on to you. I'm on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you start out this path, and you start walking down this path of pleasing God, and, and, and it takes you through some brush, and then some trees, and then some whole forest, and then it eventually, after a long time, it clears out into this opening, and 
Off in the distance, you can see this giant building, huge building, gleaming in the sun. And I, I can see writing on it. There's, as I get closer, there's this long phrase on this huge, like, stadium building. And now I'm about a couple hundred yards away, and I can read it. It says, striving hard to be all God wants me to be. Yeah. Sure. Sounds like the army. Be all you can be. I am jacked up. Come on, I'm coming. Striving hard to be all God wants you to be. You're oh, come on. And I get closer and I can see that that building, there's just one door. And as I get closer, I can see there's two words above the one door. Right above the doorknob. It says uh, the word self-effort. Self-effort, of course. I mean, yeah, now we're making sense. See, because God does his part, but I got to do my God, uh, part too. Yeah, 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 yeah. God helps those who help themselves. That's in scripture. Somewhere. Like behind Malachi, uh, if you read it with a black light underwater. Regardless, still, this has got to be it. I open the door. Huge crowd of people, cacophony of sound. Thousands of people in this stadium. Oh, the sold out people of God. I can't believe it. I did it. I made the right choice. Hey, 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 everybody. Hey, come on, man. How you doing? How you doing? There's nothing. Nobody says anything. Finally, one, one guy steps forward and he says, like he's reading from a cue card, we are doing fine. <laughs> yep. Bob, Debbie, Carlos, Jerry, we are all doing fine. Yes. We're fine. Thank you for asking. Yep. We... we uh, we're doing well. The business has liquidity. And, um, and synergy. And, and the kids are doing well. We're doing fine. I'm thinking that's odd, but still, they're doing fine. And then I notice there's a, a hostess in this room. And I look back at her, and she says to me in words that, upon later reflection, sound a little slick, a little oily. She says, hi. Welcome to the room of good intentions. I don't even think about what she's saying. I'm just so excited to be here. I go, well, thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And she says, so, how you doing? And I go, oh. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, man, am I struggling with things? For, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm really battling with like maybe four or five different things. Let me just give you one of them. And I start to list it off, and she does this. 
And then she pulls from behind her back a mask and nods for me to put it on. I don't want to put on a mask. I've never worn a mask before, but I so want to make it here. And as I look at the mask, it's very, it's a full face mask and it's form fitting and it looks very similar to what everybody's wearing in the room. I so want to make it here. I so want to make it here. I so want to make it here. And I find myself saying, um, uh, thank you, I'm, uh, I'm doing fine. You're in the room with good intentions. There's a banner on the back of the room. I don't notice it at first when I come in, but it says, uh, working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. Working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. That's right. See, that's right. That's what I've been trying to do so much. Such a good banner, working on my sin. Because see, early on, I was so close with him. It felt like we were so close. Like, 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 like I don't even know how to describe it. Like I could almost touch him. And then, I don't know, over time, Romans 7, the things I said I was going to do, I didn't do. And the things I said I wouldn't do, I did. And, and, and this seemed to change. And suddenly there was this mound of my failure and, and it's like he walked away and went over on the other side beyond it. Oh, this bound. It's all the things I've done wrong, all the lies that I've made, all the wrong thoughts that I've had, all the cheating, all the deception, all the ugliness, all the, all the hurting people's feelings, yelling at people, all of that madness. It's in this pile that keeps growing and it's pussy and it's smelly. Now, I can no longer see him because of the steam and the, 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 the pussiness of it. it, it I mean, it's so smelly. It smells like three-week-old cat food left out, stirred with mayonnaise in it. it, it it's, it's, it's really bad. And I can no longer see him, but I can imagine him. I, I, am, I'm, I know for sure He's got his arms folded now, and he's shaking his head saying, I had so much hope for that kid, but he's let me down so, so many times. I, know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I want to call out from this side, hey, I love you, and look, you, things are going to change now. I'm in this room with the sold out people of God, and, and, and things are going to change. You watch. I'm going to make that mound smaller, and, and soon we're, 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 we're going to be closer. You wait. But what nobody tells me in this room is that um, there's nothing I can do to make that mound smaller. And what nobody tells me in this room is that truckloads more of it are coming in each week. And what nobody tells me in that room is, is um, that when I wear a mask, 
Only my mask gets loved. But you guys, this room, oh my gosh, it is woo, impressive. I mean, it's got chrome, it's got, it's clean, it's got parquet floors, it's just, everything about it is well-appointed. The couches, the chairs, it's gleaming. The room has sincerity, perseverance, courage, diligence, full-hearted fervency, sold-out determination. I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going okay, to do it. I'm going to make him so happy. One day we're going to be so close. But <sighs> weeks turn into months. And as I walk around, I notice that many here in this room, they sound cynical, jaded. And they look pretty tired. And the conversations, if you listen in, they're pretty superficial and guarded. And if you catch one when they think nobody's looking, if you get the right angle where you can see the crease between the mask and their face, they look so tired. And there's lonely pain in their faces. And I'm starting to think differently. I'm no longer as relaxed. I've got this nagging anxiety. If I don't behave, if I don't control my sin enough, I'm going to be out in the outs with everyone in this room and probably with God too. So I invest more effort into sinning less. And honestly, I do. I, I do for, for a little bit. I, I feel better. But despite all the effort into sinning less, despite all my striving and sincerity, I keep sinning. Some days I get fixated on trying not to sin. I can't seem to do enough. I never get through my list. I never feel like I've done a... Enough. It makes me feel like I'm making every, every effort to please a God who never seems pleased enough. And this pleasing God path now is quickly becoming, what in the world must I do to keep him pleased? You guys, when we embrace this path, we reduce godliness to a really Stupid formula. More right behavior plus less sinning makes you godly. Imagine me with a, a wind flapping my robe and my leg able to go much higher. More right behavior, less wrong behavior. Give me a moment. Um, the only problem with that particular formula, it has to improve to reach up to heresy. You know why? Because it disregards the godliness and righteousness that God has already placed in us. Yes, 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 we mature in godliness. But if we disregard the righteousness that is already ours from trust, we are set up to live in hiddenness, cognitive dissonance. We can never resolve our sin by working on it. We may change behaviors for a while, like moving deck chairs around on the Titanic, but when we strive to sin less, we don't. And it causes us to lose hope, and it keeps us immature. <sighs> 
And even though this theology has been breaking our hearts and let us down a thousand times, we keep desperately thinking and hoping maybe this time I'll be able to control and stop my bad habits and sins by enough sincerity and willpower. I'm learning that I can't breathe. There's not enough oxygen in this room. Every day it's getting worse, and I try to talk to someone about it. I say, what's wrong with me? Everybody else seems to be able to do this, but I can't. It's the one thing nobody wants to talk about. So, in desperation, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Finally, one night, when everybody's asleep, I plan a way out. And I'm back out on the road again. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm so despondent. I'm so messed up. That, that was supposed to be it. I couldn't make it there. I, what was wrong? What happened to me? Why, why couldn't I make it? That was supposed to be it, John. Now what do we do? Honestly, I have no answers. I am just a mess. I am broken hearted. I'm mad at myself. I don't know what's going to happen next. And about 45 minutes later, I slammed back into that same pole that I hit that day when one path turned into two. No, that didn't work. Trusting God. You gotta be kidding me, right? Hey, anybody, does there happen to be a third path? Hearing nothing, I start with no hope at all. I don't know what difference it's going to make at all, but I start walking just because what else am I going to do? And, and, and I start heading out, and I same thing. I go through some bushes that turn into trees that turn into forests and go through a long time, and then it pulls out, and I... I um, find myself out in a giant, vast clearing, and off in the distance is this gleaming, huge building. And I keep walking, walking, and walking, and I see that there's writing on this building too. I finally get close enough to read it, and I can make sense. I, I see the words, but I keep walking forward because it doesn't make any sense to me. Here are the words on the building. Living out of who God says I am. Well, there's one word right after another. What does that mean? Living out of who God says I am. Well, there's that. And I keep walking. And I see that there is a, a door on the building, just like the other one. But this time, instead of two words, it's one word. And I get close enough to reach H -U humility. Humility. For so long, I've tried, God. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to prove to you that I'm worthy of what you've done for me and to try to, and I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. You, 
You say that you are fused with me, that, that you are defined with me, that I'm Christ in me, and I've never known what to do with that. I need it now so much. Help me. I can't do this. You're faster. You're smarter. You're better. I want to trust you that you live in me. Help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. And I open the door and I walk in. Same thing, cacophony of sounds, thousands of people. Same thing, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't want to talk to anybody, but there's, there's a woman hostess in this room also. And she waits for a while. And she smiles. And finally she says in a voice maybe as beautiful as any voice I've ever heard my whole lifetime. She says, Hey, kid, welcome to the room of grace. And then she, listen how shrewd she is. She says, so how are we doing? And I say, fine, sort of fine, not so really fine. Who wants to know? And then this room it's driving me nuts because it feels just like the other room. Nobody's saying anything. So I finally, I've had it. I rip off my mask and I yell out, Hey, everybody! <laughs> I'm doing not fine. <laughs> Dog, I haven't been fine for a long time. Yeah, I'm tired, I'm confused, I'm, I'm afraid, I feel guilty, I'm lonely, I'm sad. Most of the time I can't make my life work at all. I'm so far behind and befuddled about what to do next, it leaves me frozen. And if any of you folks knew half my daily thoughts, you'd want me out of your little room. So there, hey everybody, I'm doing not fine. Thank you very much, I think I'll go now. And I walk to the door, and I'm ready to open the handle, when someone in the back of the room yells out, That's it? That's all you got? I'll take your chronic, I'll take your confusion and guilt and bad thoughts and raise your compulsive sin and chronic lower back pain. Oh, and I'm in debt up to my ears and I wouldn't know classical music from a show tune if it jumped up and bit me. You better get more than that little list if you want to play in my league, buddy. And the hostess leans over and says, I think he means that you're welcome here. You're in the room of grace. Grace. And you can't say it except for it's Scottish or Irish, for this is the manner in which God speaks. Grace, 122 times in the New Testament. Oh, and the Judaizers hated it. Romans 5 through 7, they would, they would say, Paul, 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 please, don't, don't do the grace thing. You could do it a little bit, like paprika if you want, sprinkle it, but just not so much because these people are vermin. They'll take advantage of it. I I'm telling you. 
I, I'm telling you, that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll go fast and loose with it. So you've got you to mix it with law or you know, something. You've got to keep the lid on tight. And Paul basically said, hey, you know, thank you so much, Judaizers, but these vermin that you're talking about, they have a new heart. They don't want to get away with anything. They have Christ in them. You can get people to do right things externally from any religious motivation. But if you want heartfelt obedience, that would take grace. That would take grace. I wrote a piece a long time ago. Um, this is a great theology to understand. It almost sounds biblical, but it, you get scared when you're raising kids. Because... You, it's okay if it doesn't work, if it's just me, but if it's my kids. So Caleb was 10, and Amy was 8, and Carly was 2, and I found myself writing this piece. See, the problem, in the, in the Old Testament, we, never, we saw God's power, but we didn't see his person. And so we ran. We ran off to other gods. And we'd come back. We'd run again, come back, because we didn't see his person. And so Jesus here in the New Testament, Matthew 11, says, come here. Come here. I want, you, I want you to see me. I want you to know me. The only words that he ever speaks about himself, I'm, I'm gentle and kind in spirit. I'm humble in heart. Come here. I'm turning over all the cards. I want you to be able to see everything. I'm not at a distance. And so I wrote the New Testament gamble, imagining what God would say to us now. What if I tell them who they are? What if I take away any element of fear and condemnation, judgment, or rejection? What if I tell them that I love them, and I'll always love them, that I can't love them any more than I love them now, and I love them right now no matter what they've done as much as I love my only son? that there's nothing they can do to make my love go away? What if I told them that they were righteous with my righteousness right now? What if I told them they could stop beating themselves up, they could stop being so formal and stiff and weird and odd and jumpy around me? What if I told them I was crazy about them? What if I told them even if they ran to the ends of the earth and did the most unthinkable, horrible things, when they came back, I'd receive them with tears and a party? What if I told them I don't keep a log of past offenses of how little they pray or made promises they don't keep? What if I told them they don't have to be owned by men's religious additions or traditions? What if I told them if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what, it's a done deal? What if I told them that I have put a new nature inside them? They are saints, not saved sinners who should now buck up and be better if you're any kind of a Christian after all he's done for you. What if I told them I actually live in them now? that I've put my love and power and nature inside them at their disposal? What if I told them they don't ever have to put on a mask, ever? That it's absolutely perfect to be exactly who they are at this moment? What if they knew they don't have to look over their shoulder for fear things get too good, the other shoe's going to drop? What if they knew that I will never, for anyone who's ever even put a, a fragile, failed, clumsy prayer of faith, that I will never, ever, 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 ever use the word punish in relation to them? What if they were convinced the bad circumstances are never my way of, even in the score, for taking advantage of me? 
What if they knew that the basis of our friendship isn't on how little they sin, but on how much they let me love them? What if they had permission to stop trying to impress me in any way? What if I told them they could hurt my heart, but I'd try to never hurt theirs? What if I told them I like Eric Clapton's music too? That the these and thous have always kind of confused me. What if I told them I was never that crazy of the Christmas handbell deal with the white gloves? What if I told them they could open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I told them it wasn't about their self-effort but allowing me to live my life through them? That's the New Testament gamble. And we're the guinea pig test. Will we take advantage of this and go off to the dog track with a bottle of Johnny Walker? Or will we live with heartfelt obedience because we have Christ in us and the most real me does not want to get anything, does not want to get away with anything and wants to love like crazy? You're the guinea pig test and the world's watching. See, it's all over Scripture. I don't know how we got under a spell, but it's been there since the scriptures were written. 2 Timothy 2.1, my son, you be strong. And you expect him to say in the diligence and the self-motivation. He says, you be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Acts 20.32, I commend you to the God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up. I love Hebrews 4.16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace that will help us in our time of need, those hard times, those confusing times, those chronic times, those pandemic times when, when it seems like life will never be again as good as it was. That's what grace is for. Romans 5, 2, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Well, um, you know what I'm doing here, right? This is not a shell game. I'm not trying to fool you. This is all out of Hebrews eleven six. The two roads come out of that. Remember where he says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. Um, uh, the word is pistas, faith. It's the noun form of trust, the verb form. Without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God. See, if I'm over here just giving it all I got, he says, you're never going to do enough to please me. And you're never going to learn to trust me. But if over here, on my worst day, I dare believe that Christ lives in me and that I wear a robe of righteousness and he's not ashamed of me and he doesn't condemn me and he loves me as much as any other person on this planet and I dare to believe it, he would say, you're doing it, kid. You're trusting me. Oh, and by the way, you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. See, see, pleasing God's an incredibly good desire. It just can't be our primary motivation or it'll imprison our hearts. For if all we bring to God is our moral striving to please him by solving our sin, we're back at the same square that put us in need of salvation. 
We're stuck with our talents, our desires, our ability, our longing, our chutzpah, our diligence and resolve to make it all happen. Pleasing is not a means to our godliness. It's the fruit of our godliness. It's the fruit of trust. Well, there's a banner also on the back. I don't see it at first. A huge room. You don't see things all at once. But later I see it. There's this banner that says this. Standing with God, with my sin in front of me, looking at it together. Oh, wow. Standing with God, together, with my sin in front of us, working on it together. What if the shed blood of Jesus was this powerful that for any of us who have put our faith in him, he's not over there on the other side of my sin at all, ever. Instead, he walks all the way up here and stands in front of me less than 18 inches in front of my face. And he makes that smile that no human can make. He puts his, puts his hands on my shoulders and says, I'm crazy about you, kid. I know, I've seen everything. I know what's coming up. I, some of it's really weird. But I've seen it and I've got you and there's no one on this planet that I love more. I got you. I promise you, I'm not ashamed. I'm not disgusted. I'm not mad. And then he would pull me into a bear hug. So tight. So, so tight. And at first I want to say, hey, wait, I, I don't deserve this stuff. You got the wrong part. But he keeps holding me. So tight. So, and I'm fighting it so hard until, I, why would I fight this? I've waited my whole life for this. And he keeps saying, I got you, kid. I'm crazy about you. I'm not ashamed. I love you. I've got this. I've never felt this before in my life. It's the best thing in the world. And he keeps holding me like that until he's absolutely convinced that I believe him. And then and only then does he start to release his grip and then just so much so that he can put his arm around me so that we can look at the things that are harming me and others together. Now I've done this talk before. And every time I do it, I imagine, I imagine me, I imagine Jesus with his arm around me. I imagine him looking at my sin, looking back at me. I always imagine him going, <clears throat> oh, my, my, my. Woo-wee. <laughs> um, <laughs> golly. Man, that's a lot of sin. Don't you ever sleep? <laughs> and then he would say, and we're going to deal with it um, when we're ready. And by the way, we're ready in five and four and three and two and one. That's your God. That's his love. Have we been changed? Come on now. Have we been changed or are we just kind of someone bigger than that? Have we been changed? Yes, I'm so 
tired of going to Christian bookstores and seeing books titled, Men, It's Time to Change. Stop it! You've already been completely changed! As day is from night, we've been changed. We've received a brand new core identity. We've already been changed. Now, listen, we get to mature into who we really are. If we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to describe its DNA, he would say, John, I know this looks like a caterpillar to you, but by every measurable scientific result, this is fully and completely a butterfly. Ow! God is wired into a creature looking nothing like a butterfly, a perfectly complete butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day invariably, inevitably display the behavior and attributes of a butterfly. In the meantime, yelling at it just hurts its tiny little ears. The caterpillar matures into what's already true about it, so it is with us. God gives us the DNA of godliness. We're saints. We're righteous. God knows that I am Christ in me. And the more I believe it, the more I trust it, instead of trying to fix that sin that I can, the more I believe this, the less I sin and the more I love. Okay. Sad last note. Not everybody stays in the room of grace once they enter. For not only must you believe that you're accepted, you must learn to accept the yokels who are already here and the ones who enter each week. They're goofy and odd and flawed and failed and inappropriate. Oh, every now and then a presentable one slips in. But he usually soon discovers his shtick is a mask. He too must learn to rest in the sufficiency of Christ or he'll have to go back to where appearances make the man. And now down to Rock Point. You're sitting here listening to this. And maybe you're sitting there saying, but you don't know, John. You don't know what the stuff that's going on in me. You don't know what I've done. I don't belong. I am too failed. I'm unfit. I'm unworthy to live amongst this band of rabble without a mask. Hmm. By the way, I want to tell you guys, that's a lot of people in this room. Now, some of you have believed this for a while, and you are maturing. And you have this great privilege to be trusted enough to earn their trust to where someone would come to you and start to dare tell you some of the issues of their life. And maybe they'll lean over to you in a chair and mumble something about some problems they're going through. Or maybe you'll be in a setting together where that comes out and you realize, I'm being trusted with someone's stuff. And maybe, just maybe, you'll lean over and uh, whisper into their ear, That's it! That's all you got! It'll be your way of telling them you're welcome here and you will always be welcome here. Thank you, guys.